Before we go any further, let me just uh, speak a couple things into you, okay? That the Spirit has led on led me to say that I hadn't planned to say today. Um, I don't know what you walked in here with. I don't know what kind of um, load that you're carrying today. But as we sing those songs, um, I'm just reminded that there is no authority over your life than the authority of Jesus Christ and the authority of God's word and his love and his provision over you and in your life. And you can leave it with him. You can leave whatever that load is that you walked in here with, you do not have to walk out with. You can leave it with the Lord. It reminds me of that old uh, Southern Gospel song. Um, leave your heavy burden at the cross and go free. Oh, sinner, go free. I mean, that's, that's great for when you give your heart to Jesus and confess your sin, but it's for every single one of us. We can come, all who are burdened and weary and heavy laden, we can come to Jesus Christ and we can leave it with him you don't have to carry it around. Those songs remind us that there are voices calling you, trying to get your attention, trying to get you sidetracked, trying to get you off of the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ, who is worthy of it all. And we need to have our lives focused on all that he is and all that he says about our lives, not what everyone else is telling us about our lives. I just felt like I needed to say that to you before we get started. Today may sting a little bit. I didn't really think it was going to till I got through the first service. It's one, of those, it's one of those messages that if we called an invitation at the end, an I surrender all song, and we, every, everybody would need to come to the front. So that's, I'm just warning you, that's the kind of sermon uh, that's coming your way today, and it starts with this question. What does it mean to really live? You ever thought about that? I know you're living. I know what it means to live. I know that your blood is pumping and all that. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what does it mean to really live while we're here on this earth? What does that look like? And I want you individually to think of this question and, and ask yourself this question throughout this whole sermon this morning. Am I really living? Or do I have some kind of Cheap substitute going on. And what does God want for me? Because we have, like I said, we have voices everywhere calling us. If you'll just do this, you'll really be living. If you'll just have this, you'll really be living. Some of us get caught up in money. We're like, if I just had a little more, then I'd really be living. If I could just, maybe it's like this. If I, if I could just have enough to not have to worry about my monthly bills 
and maybe a little left over, then I'd be really living. Or if I was just like rolling in the dough, that I would be hit. I, I, that's real living. Some people are all caught up in that. I mean, that's a very real thing. If I just had more, then I could really live. Here's another one. If I could just stay young and fit. I mean, the world we're living in today, it's all about fitness. It's all about, if I could just be at the gym, if I can go to the CrossFit gym, and I could just do like 85 pull-ups, then I'd really be living. If I could just have, you know what? I have a pack. Why do I need a six-pack? Are you with me, Mark? Are you with me? All right, that's good. I mean, that's, there, are, there are so many people that are crazy about this right now, and they really are like, if I could just be at the gym every day, if I could just be on the trail every day, if I could just have these, these physical goals every day, then I'd really be living if I could meet these physical goals and be physically fit. I'd really be living then. And we get caught up in that. Some people are like, forget that CrossFit stuff. I'm into comfort and ease. That's really living. You know, if I could just kick my feet up and I could just be in my hammock every day, if I didn't have to go to work and deal with all the stress of work, if I could just relax a little bit, then I'd really be living. And others are like, no way, man. I want the fast lane. Give me the fast lane. Give me the fast life. I just want to be going, going, going all the time. And if I could just be going on all the things I want to do, then I'd really be living. <laughs> While others are saying, no, it's all about retirement. I'm just waiting to get to retirement. I am eking my way through this life. And once I get to retirement, I can kick my feet up for the rest of forever, and I don't have to do anything. Then I'll be. Re <laughs> who did that? Who, who? Peggy, shame. Peggy, it's out there now. Everyone knows that you just said that. That's what it is, right? When you, I could really be living once I hit retirement, man. I could just. That's it. I hit the great life. All right, I'm getting ready to. Uh, uh, split the church right now, okay? This will be the first church split in the history of First Baptist Church, and I'm going to lead the split, all right? The great divide is gonna happen right now because some of you believe that it's all the way you eat. And if you eat the proper way, then it's really living, okay? And this is a real big deal right now. Some of you are like, this is really living right here. Look at that bounty. Look how awesome that is. There are some people that are like, just give me this. In fact, I don't want anything else but this. If I could, in fact, if you live like this, if you eat like this, then you're really living. In fact, what you need to do is you need to go buy the little pills where they grind all this stuff up and you can actually take it in a capsule and then you'll really be living because you have all of this stuff inside of you, right? I mean, just get this in my ground, out in my backyard, let me fertilize it naturally, and then I can eat, get this in my stomach. And then I'll really be living. How many of those of you who believe in this kind of real living, you raise your hand and just say, amen, Phil. <laughs> Oops. So maybe we're not gonna have a church split. Maybe we all agree that this is real living. 
I mean, I'm talking Essen House. Essen. I mean, fried Amish cherry pies. This is real living. And then there's some people that are like, no, this. Peanut butter and jelly <laughs> on homemade sourdough bread. I mean, come on, somebody. Somebody, right? Amen. Yep. Get thee behind me, Satan. For some, it's education. If I could just get in here what I really need, then I'll really be able to live. For others, it's business success and productivity and goal achievement. For others, it's like organization. If I could just get my life organized, if I could just read the book, get it done, and organize my life, as soon as I get that organization going, then I'll really be able to live. And I'm sure I have hit Everybody at some point in all of those illustrations, and let me just ask you, does all of what I just talked about, does any of that or does all of that constitute real living? I'd like to suggest to you that all of that stuff that I just rehearsed with you is a searching for fulfillment and satisfaction, and joy, and comfort in all the things that are around us and all the things that are in the world that the world has to offer. We're searching for fulfillment and significance in all of those things. And though these things may not necessarily be bad for us, these things, all these things that we're talking about, if you try to find real living in those things, I have to tell you, I have to be loving enough to tell you that you're going to be sorely disappointed. You're going to get to the end and everything that you try to find fulfillment in, in all of these things, that real living will just be this, will be disappointing at the end because you'll find it's empty and it will not bring you the fulfillment that you're looking for. How many of us um, have spent more time searching for fulfillment in all of this stuff to really live than you do actually going to God, the one who holds the patent on your body, the one who made your personality, the one who designed life the way that we're living it today, how much time have you and I spent going before him and saying, hey, Lord, what does it mean to really live? What did you have in mind for us down here? Those of us who are on a daily, I mean moment by moment basis trying to find the ingredients and the recipe for a fulfilled life. You know, Solomon wrote about this in Ecclesiastes 7.29 he said, I have found this to be true, 
God created mankind upright, and what that means is I've, God's created man complete. But they have gone in search of many schemes. Another translation reads it like this. God created people to be virtuous and complete, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. And what that literally is saying is that God made us virtuous, he made us upright, he made us complete, but for whatever reason, we are constantly on the search and are continually trying to invent and create a plan in search of satisfaction and in search of fulfillment. And in our search, we end up creating and settling for cheap substitutes to the real thing. When we do that, we will find ourselves chasing knowledge instead of wisdom. It's one of the cheap substitutes. We will value men's opinion over God's principles. We will be chasing after feelings instead of facts where we will opt for the cheap momentary pleasure today over the pain that that decision will bring tomorrow. Tell me that I'm not telling the truth. Come on. We do it all the time. It feels good to do this, so I'm going to do it. But the fact is, and you know the fact when you do this, that you're going to suffer for it tomorrow. Right? I want this right now. In fact, it's distracting me. Because I want it. I want to dig into one of those. Look. Oh. That's a peach one. I don't want that. Another peach one. Oh. There's a cherry in there somewhere. I want it. And I want it right now. And I want three of them. And I will eat them, and I will enjoy every single bite of it, but I will suffer tomorrow. And I know it. But that's what chasing after the things of the world that you think they're going to fulfill, but they always end up empty on the other side. Is that making sense to anybody? Temporal over the eternal, cost over value, urgent over the important. We're awesome at focusing on the natural over the supernatural. We're experts at focusing on the quantity instead of the quality of things in this earth. We're really good at that. But bottom line, we tend to chase the artificial while all the while missing the authentic. C.S. Lewis got it right when he wrote this. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So where do you go to find the answers to all of this? Where do you go to find the answer to, Lord, what does it mean to really live well, we go to, and I think most of you have it in your lap. Raise it up. What do we go to? We go to the Word of God. Exactly. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
as we jump into the text here. You know, what's awesome is that we can always find our reality in the truth of God's word every single time whenever we have these kinds of questions. So here's the question before us, the title of the sermon, Am I Really Living? Which I think is a fair question because Paul, where we left off, Gino did a great job last, last week and left us in 1 Thessalonians 3.8. So I'm gonna start right there where it says, for now we really live. Now your Bible might say, but now we live, but the emphasis is we really are living since you are standing firm in the Lord. So it's like this, for now we are really living because you are standing firm in the Lord as they're remembering the people, the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, they're really living. Now don't forget who penned these words. Do you remember who's, who's writing this? Who penned this book? Paul did, okay? And he had the help of, of, and the input of Silas and Timothy, but Paul, this is a Pauline epistle to the people in Thessalonica, and Paul's writing it. But I gotta tell you something, listen up. Paul's life is anything but glorious right now. Paul's life is anything but ideal right now. In, Paul, in fact, since the time that Paul gave his life to Christ, his life has been anything but ideal in all of the circumstances, he was lacking in creature comforts when he wrote this. He was stuck in Athens, remember? He got chased out of Thessalonica because they were gonna take his life and all the believers was like, get out of there, Paul, get out of here. And so Paul goes to Athens and then the Bible tells us, Paul tells us in chapter two that Satan is stopping him. He can't get out of Athens. He's stuck in Athens. He doesn't wanna be there. He's away from the people that he loves. He's hundreds of miles away from his home. He was in poor health, he didn't have any money, he had an uncertain future, and his very life on a daily basis was threatened because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says to us, you guys need to know, I am really living. Really? Seriously, Paul? I mean, cut with the Christianese, pal. Your life is a mess. What do you mean you're really living? No, seriously. Phil, I'm really living. No, you're not. <laughs> How many people do you know that if their, if their life was a mess, like what, Paul's, what I just described to you and all the things that aren't going well in Paul's life, you call them up and say, hey, pal, how's it going? And they go, my life is awesome. I am really living, man. How many people do you know would be that way? It's not like that. Who can say that kind of thing? Whenever everything's in the toilet, nothing's going right, and you call them up and say, how's it going? They can say, I am really, who can say that kind of thing? Come on, think about it. Only a person with the proper eternal and biblical perspective can say that when things aren't going the way that they had planned or wanted to, to go or the things aren't ideal. Paul is here in the middle of his crisis saying we are really living. Let's look at the truth, two truths that we're gonna look at of this about real living. The first one is this, real living comes from people, not things. This is what Paul understood. You can read this all the way through all of his writings. You can, you can make sure that Paul, you know, Paul makes it clear. Real living 
Real fulfillment does not come from things, it comes from people, and it comes from doing the work of God and building the kingdom through people. First Thessalonians, look at verse nine of 1 Thessalonians 3. In fact, let me jump with eight, okay? So go to eight first. We are now really living because you are standing firm in the Lord. Verse nine, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of, say the next word, because of you. Do you see it? Where does their joy and satisfaction come from? It comes from God's people. It comes from his people. He's not relying on his circumstances. He's not relying on the things around him. He's not relying on his even ability to handle the life things that are around him. It's my joy comes from God's people. Paul says, in the midst of the satanic oppression that we saw in chapter two, verse 18, that's keeping me from you, and all the personal distress and affliction that we see in verse seven of chapter three, in spite of all of this pain, in spite of all this suffering, we are really living because our joy comes from you, my brothers and sisters. When was the last time you heard that? That's more silence than I was hoping for. Just the thought of you, Paul says, and just the thought of your life in Christ brings us joy, and we're really living because of that. This is what makes us alive. This is where we find our fulfillment. It reminds me of his letter to the Philippians where he says, I thank God for you every time you come to my mind, and this is what he says, every time you come to my mind, my heart is full of joy. His joy and satisfaction and fulfillment comes from his people, which are God's people. I'm not sure I can say that right now. I'm not sure it's okay to say that right now and where I'm gonna go here next. But I, I just have to tell you, Robin and I were so blessed. This past two years, we have not been in a life group. We have been traveling each week to a different life group and meeting with a different life group. And many of you we've gone deeper with because of that. And it's been such a blessing to us. But this past week was significantly different for us and really a blessing for us. As we sat in a life group, we were invited to their final life group party for this season. Um, which was a very big honor to be there. And we sat in the midst of the people. We all partied for a while, and then we all got quiet. We were in a big circle. And the question was asked, what has Life Group done for you so far? What, how has God been, have you benefited, and what has God been doing? And, and I, we began to hear stories, and it was story after story, everybody. But I remember this one couple, they were talking about the fact that we didn't have people, because, you know, you can't get people coming to church like this and just come to church and then you leave. You don't really connect. You might connect at a, on a superficial level, but you don't connect at a deep level. That's why we do the life group so that you can get your people. And they said, we didn't have any people. We came to the church. We didn't have anybody. Our life was upside down. And then we found our people and we found our life group here. And we've been able to We've been able to receive from you and pour into you. And we've been having this awesome thing and we just need to know that this group and this life group and the life we're doing together, sharing together, saved our marriage and actually saved our lives. 
And everybody was sharing in those ways, and I'm thinking, man, <laughs> I knew it before, but this stuff really works. That's where the joy comes. That's where real living comes from. Not the circumstances, because they were all sharing that their circumstances were all upside down and all messed up, but because we came together and we're working on stuff together and we're being encouraged to, we're encouraging one another together. I'm really living now. That was such a benefit to me and such a blessing to me to hear that that's going on. This is what Paul is talking about. He goes on to say, in fact, I love you so much. Look at verse 10. I love you so much that night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I want to say, read that one more time because you've got to catch this, my friends. I, I want to press this so hard into your minds so that you can understand why we meet. Night and day, he says, we're praying earnestly that we may see you again. They're wanting to get back to their people, and they can't get back to their people. They're stuck in Athens. They're like, we just want to see you. What's the reason they want to see you? Because we want to supply what is lacking in your faith. That's why we want to see you. Now, this is at the heart of every pastor, okay? And this is Paul. He's a pastor. This is a Pauline epistle, so we get it, okay? But I just want you to know that if you want to know what real living is, this is where you find it, face-to-face with God's people. But don't miss this, okay? Paul didn't say, we're so eager. Day and night, we're praying earnestly that God will let us see you face-to-face again so that you can take care of us because things aren't going well at all. No, he's saying, so that we can supply you with everything. Do you see it? It's not with the intent, I'm coming to you so that you will supply to me everything that's lacking in my faith. It's, we want to come to you to supply you with everything that's lacking in your faith. This is what doing church is all about. This is why we gather. This is where real living takes place. And when everybody is doing it, when everybody, everybody, 100%, is it okay for me to say 100%? Is it okay? One person thinks it's okay. Is it, is it all right for me to include every one of you and obligate each one of you? That every one of us, if every single one of us comes to church with the intent of providing what is lacking in our brothers and sisters' faith, without expecting anything in return, which is Philippians chapter two, which which Paul tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but you build into everybody else not expecting anything in return. When everybody does that, when everybody comes to church like that, then all the needs are met. There isn't one need that goes unmet. And when that happens, then we're really living. Let me, this is what it is right here, okay? It's Riley, I'm coming to church and I can't wait to be with you so that I can build into you. How do I know what Riley needs? Huh? Okay, God knows what he needs, but how do I know? 
Is God going to tell me in a dream tomorrow? You know, like, Riley needs this, so go give it to him. How am I going to know what Riley needs in order to supply what is lacking in his faith? A relationship. I got to spend time with him. That's why we gather, my friends. We don't gather to get what we want. Okay. Am I going to go here? Am I going to really say this? You got my back, Matt? All right. We don't come to church to get something. If you're coming to church to get something, you're completely backwards on the program. Somewhere along the line, you clicked into reverse mode on what God intended for his church and why we gather. We gather together to give, not to receive. Now, half of you are going to go home and never come back, maybe. <laughs> well, I thought I was coming to get something. You're not. I'm serious. I mean, it's not why we get together with people. Paul has it completely right. In fact, we don't pick songs to sing on Sunday morning so that you'll be happy. We don't sit in the office and say, what songs are we gonna sing Sunday um, so that everyone will go home excited that they came? That is not what our motivation is. We pick songs that will give you the opportunity to give Jesus all the glory for all the things that he's been doing in your life and in the world because he is worthy of it all. And so we pick songs that will bring him praise and the highest praise we can think of. And we get platforms for you to be able to come together and just worship before the Lord, which is a blessing to his heart. That's why we do what we do. But if you're coming to church every week going, I didn't like what they did. They didn't sing my song. I'm tired of this. You're totally upside down as to why you come. Now it's, oh man, I'm right deep in it now. It's our job to understand the culture of what we have here, okay? And we all talk about culture all the time. We get information from you. We give you information. We talk about culture all the time. But let me tell you something. If you come to church every week in order to somebody, stand up, Riley. So it's like this. Riley, good to see you, buddy. I'm here, and I want you to give to me. I'm waiting. <laughs> Give me a break, man. I'm preaching. I can't deal with my breath while I'm preaching. Right? <laughs> if we're typical, though, I'm coming and going, Ryan, I'm waiting for you to give to me. You know why Riley's not giving anything to me? It's because he's waiting for me to give to him. And so it goes. Person after person after person. And what's happening? Are we really living? <laughs> go ahead and have a seat. It's not how it's supposed to go. 
It is in the giving that you receive the blessing, not in the getting. Do you understand that? The measure that you use to bless other people will be the measure that is used to bless you. That's what Jesus said. But if you're sitting back with this giant measure and waiting for everyone to fill you up, you're gonna be sitting there unhappy, unfulfilled for a very long time. Especially if everyone else is doing the same thing you're doing. We're all walking around with an empty cup saying, fill my cup. Because we're looking for fulfillment and joy and satisfaction in everything else other than the one we're supposed to get it from that will fill us up so that we can pour it out onto everybody else. Which I think I'm totally lost in my notes right now. Yeah, let's go to, let's go to point number two. Because the church thing is supposed to be a selfless love fest. And here's point number two. Real living comes from a growing and overflowing love. Look at verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. So we're supposed to increase and overflow in our love. Now, Please notice who our love is to be growing and overflowing to. First of all, who's it supposed to go to first in the passage? May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for who? Come on, say it out loud. For each other. But don't neglect the next phrase. And for everyone else. So the love that we have is supposed to be increasing, it's supposed to be growing and overflowing not just to the people of God, but to everyone else. Do you understand that? Now, real quickly, there's three kinds of love that we see in the scriptures, okay? There's three, uh, there's three Greek words, Greek terms for love that's all translated love in English, okay? So you can find eros, which we get the word erotic, which is um, sensual and sexual love between a man and a woman. There's, that's not what this is talking about. Then there's phileo, which is brotherly love. The love we have, you know, as friends and buddies and that kind of thing. It's where the, like the city of brotherly love is Philadelphia. It's got phileo in it. It's not talking about this. It's talking about the third kind of love, which is divine love, which is called agape love. That kind of love, agape love, you can write this down in your, in your notes here, agape love equals self-sacrificing love. It's the love of the Lord, the Father, who loved us so much that while we were still sinners and didn't deserve anything, he sent his one and only perfect begotten son to the earth to die for us as sinners so that we can be saved and be restored. It's that kind of self-sacrifice. I'm gonna sacrifice my son so that you can be saved when you don't deserve it. It was that kind of love that drove Jesus to the cross who willfully gave his life. No one took his life from him. He offered it up, self-sacrificing. 
I'm going to go through the pain. I'm going to go through the suffering. I'm going to be crucified on a cross. I'm going to go through all of the ridicule and all of the pain and suffering that came along with that for you because I love you. I'm not going to hold anything for myself. And that's the example set before us. That kind of love, that self-sacrificing love, is what we are asked to increase in, to grow in, and to overflow in, not to, to God's people, but also to everyone else. Listen, the mission of the church, the mission of every evangelical church, is to equip the people. The reason we exist is to equip you to love God, sacrifice, not be God's buddy, not to be God's lover, to be God's Self-sacrifice, you're sacrificing yourself to do the will of your Father in heaven. So we're to equip you to love God and love people, not just the people in the church, but all people for what reason? So that we can influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see? Let me say it this way. We come into this place and gather together. I'm not sure I'm doing a good job convincing you that real living is being with God's people. But that's the reality of it. And when we come together and we're all in this love fest, we're all trying to outdo each other, we're all trying to build into each other's lives. We're equipping, we're, it's not just me up here or Gino up here, any of our other elders up here equipping you, it's we're equipping each other and building each other and strengthening each other so that we can all increase, we can grow, and we can overflow that love out in the world. How does that work? It's you going into your sphere of influence, whatever that is. You go to your job, you go to your school, you go to your neighborhood, wherever your sphere of influence is, you get filled up here because everybody's building each other up and everybody's pouring into each other. And then we go out there, we have full, we're full, we're completely ready to go, and we are so full that we can't even walk without spilling it all over, and it spills all over everybody else in our world. And we become influencers in the world because of our great love for each other. Well, how does that work, Phil? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 12. You want to take your Bibles there? We're almost done. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. This is Paul writing, and he says this. Let your love be sincere. This is agape love. Let your love be sincere. In other words, you can fake it, but don't be a faker. Don't be a love faker. Let your love be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. I love this. Let's outdo one another in showing honor. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, constant in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. This was the teaching to the first century beginning of the church Jesus Christ. This was the teaching that went into their hearts. This is what it looks like to be increasing and growing in love is what Paul is saying. This is what sincere love looks like. I'm going to close here with with a story that I stumbled upon. This is so cool. I haven't been able to wait until now. Um, All week long, I couldn't wait to tell you about this, okay? So, In the time in which we're talking about here, in the early church, actually in the year 133 AD, okay, there was a Greek Christian philosopher and author named Aristides of Athens, and he wrote an apology in defense of Christianity to the Roman Emperor Hadrian in 133 AD. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. So there's a Roman emperor, who's a wicked guy, whose name was Hadrian, And there was a Greek Christian philosopher who wrote an apologetic piece defending Christianity because Hadrian thought that the Christians were just a bunch of of wicked cult, is what he thought it was, that they needed to be squashed. Didn't like this, this, this Christian thing that was happening. Now, Paul writes this letter in about 52 A.D., Okay, about 20 years or so after the death of Jesus is when Paul writes this. And so the missionary journeys are just going to the ends of the earth. They're just entering into Greece when we get to Thessalonica here. And so he writes this about 20 years after Jesus' death. And so the gospel, at this point of the writing of Aristides, um, the gospel has been in Greece for about 80 years when Aristides wrote this. And he starts out by starting that there are four classes of men in the world. There are barbarians, he said, and these are people who worship dead war heroes and do not know the one true God. Hadrian would have agreed with him. He goes, but then there's the Greeks. And the Greeks are people who make up gods, who are corrupt, who are adulterous and murderous, murderous, and they do not know the one true God. Then he says there's the Jews. And the Jews are people who know the one true God and they worship the one true God. But they have turned from the truth. They killed their own Messiah who was the son of the one true God that they worship who came to provide their salvation. And therefore they have turned their backs on God. And then he says, and then he says there are the Christians. So they're the barbarians, there are the Greeks, the Jews, and the Christians. And he says to them, he, listen to this description. He goes, now, now, just get this, okay? This was written in 133 AD. Now the Christians, O king, have the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ himself graven on their hearts, and they observe, looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. They commit neither adultery nor fornication. They do not bear false witness. Now in their culture... This was rampant, okay, so this was significant that they were saying, listen, they, they're not adulterers and fornicators, and they're not liars, and, but this culture that they were living in, that was what it was all about. 
They do not deny a deposit nor covet other men's goods. They honor their father and mother and love their neighbors. They give right judgment. They do not worship idols in the form of men. They do not unto others that which they should not have done unto themselves. They comfort those who wrong them and make friends of them. They labor to do good to their enemies. They are meek and gentle. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan. He who has distributes liberal, liberally to those who have not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were own brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit and in God. And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they deliver him. And get this, you guys, and if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast for two or three days until they may supply the needy with their necessary food. In other words, they didn't just go to the pantry like and get a couple of cans and give them out to the people who are in need. They didn't have a pantry. And so they said, okay, they saw this person in need, so they said, well, here's what we're going to do, because we love other people, and they were growing and increasing and overflowing in love, self-sacrificial love, they were like, okay, kids, we're not gonna eat for three days so that the kids down the street can have the food we were gonna eat these three days. We're gonna give it to them. That's what the Christians were known for doing. In the early church, for Christ's sake, they are ready to lay down their very lives. And so the whole known world at that time, when they heard of the Christians, this is what they would say, behold, they love each other. Behold, they love each other. Do they say that about us? Is it known throughout all of Elkhart County about those Christians that gather every week over there on County Road 17? Behold, they love each other. How weird is that? How strange is that? Nowhere else in our world can we find that, but you find it over there. Listen, that's where the gold is. That's where what real living in God's economy, in God's plan, in God's kingdom, that's real living. It's this. How about I give up what I need to help you get what you need? That's what growing and overflowing in love looks like. How about I give up what I need to help you get what you need? How many relationships would be on the path of restoration if we would just always have on our lips, how about I give up what I need so that I can get you what you need? How many marriages would be spared and mended and put back together, and I mean rocking marriages if the two, the husband and the wife both, would just do what God wants them to do and come to each other and say, how about I stop giving you the list that I need and you give me your list that you need. 
Let me work on getting you everything that you need. How much healing would result instead of always, always retreating into the self-defense and the self-protection mode of what I want and what I need and what I expect and why aren't you giving me what I need, which we all fall into. Can we all agree that there is, there is needless separation in families, especially in the family of God, that there is heartache and offense and strife where there shouldn't be, there doesn't need to be, if God's people were really living? Do you agree that it doesn't have to be that way? We don't have to have all this brokenness. Do you agree that this, that way is not really living? Living for yourself, that's not really living. Real living comes from a growing and overflowing love for all people. Thank God that real living isn't reliant upon how much money I have. Some of us are toast if it's reliant upon that. It's not that. It's reliant upon how we live and how we love. Thank God real living isn't reliant upon how smart I am. <laughs> Rather, how I live and how I love. Thank God that real living isn't reliant upon what I eat. <laughs> but how I live and how I love. It's not reliant upon how cool I am or how successful I am or how educated I am or how productive I am but it's reliant solely on how I live and how I love on those who God has given me to invest my life into. That's real living. What are you gonna do with that? I just gave you truth. But now we have to go out and stop chasing this and start pursuing each other and everyone else. When we do that, that's where the blessing is. That's where the gold is. That's where the satisfaction comes. That's like Paul says, that's where our joy comes from. That's real living. So the challenge is, are you willing to Lay down your needs, meet the needs of everybody in the body, or seek to meet any need you can, and then go out and overflow that love and all that blessing into your world of influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, how will the whole world know that you're my followers? Do you remember what he said? because of your deep love for one another. That's how the whole world will know that you're following me. And then in John chapter 17, he said, you guys know how the whole world will know that God the Father sent me to the earth? is because of your unity. Not because of your division. 
because of the unity. And when you are one and perfectly one, doing all that we've been talking about today, when you're doing that and everybody's involved in that, then the world will know that the Father sent me because they will see us in our love. I'm sorry, they will see him in our love for each other. Let's stand together and let me pray over you. Our Father, we need your help because we are, like you need us to tell you, we're selfish people. We live for ourselves all the time. We always seek to get from this world, to get from the people around us. We are users, Lord. We're user-uppers. Change our hearts, please. Change us from our natural bent towards selfishness and help us be like your son, Jesus Christ, and follow his example of selfless love and self-sacrificing love for each other as it starts and then as we take it out into the world. We need your help with this, Lord. And I wanna pause right now in this quiet moment and I just need to speak into those of you who may not know the love of Jesus yet. And you're kind of new in this thing with God or maybe today you've realized you have a need of salvation that you're not in the body of Christ and this, none of this, what I'm saying to you makes any sense at all because you don't possess the love of Christ. I just want you to know that the Bible says and is clear, those of you who are online visiting with us, I'm speaking to you also. If you don't know the Lord, all you need to do is believe in your heart. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And as you repent and humble yourselves and repent of your sin, you can have salvation. And I would be really wrong in a sermon like this, talking about the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ to not offer you that love and give you an opportunity to come. I would love, if you're in the building here, please come to the front, and I would love to sit down with you and help you find Jesus today. We have prayer team members that will help you with that. Online, we have people waiting to hear from you, and if you need to give your heart to Jesus, want to give your heart to Jesus, or any other thing, you could just get in touch with us right there online. We're serious about this walk with God because our time is short. We have a lot to do, so Lord, help us. Help us to be growing a whole congregation of your children that are growing and overflowing with love for all people. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. amen. God bless you as you go. Let's love on each other and then love on the world as we go out and make a difference for him. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining our worship service online today. Our prayer is that the worship and teaching will inspire you to love God, love others, and influence the world for Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, we'd love to know about it. You can click on the link for our online connection card. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app and you can see more opportunities and messages and even share this message with a friend. And go to our website, fbcelkhart.org for even more opportunities. We hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at FBC Elkhart.